Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. We just give you praise for this morning. We thank you for the blessing of your spirit that is upon us, that is within us, Father God. We thank you for the comfort that you have for us, Father God, through your spirit and your word. And we just give you all the praise this day, Father for the word that's coming forth. And I just pray that you use my mouth, Father God, to speak your word and your truth. And Father, that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, our, our lead scripture, foundation scripture for this service is in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 10. And it says, the saying is true and irrefutable. If any man eagerly seeks the office of a bishop... He deserves an excellent work. Now, a bishop must give no grounds for accusation, but must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, circumspect and temperate and self-controlled, sensible and well-behaved, dignified, and lead an orderly, disciplined life. He must be hospitable, showing love for and being a friend to the believers, especially strangers or foreigners, and be capable and a qualified teacher. Not given to wine, not combative, but gentle and considerate, not quarrelsome, but forbearing and peaceable, not a lover of money. He must rule his own household well, keeping his children under control with true dignity and commanding their respect in every way and keeping them respectful. For if a man does not know how to rule his own household, how is he to take care of the church of God? He must not be a new convert. Notice he doesn't say disciple. He says convert. He must not be a new convert, or he may develop a beclouded and stupid state of mind <laughs> as the result of pride and fall into the condemnation that the devil once did. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation and be well thought of by those outside the church, lest he become involved in slander and incur reproach and fall into the devil's trap. In like manner, the deacons must be worthy of respect not shifty or double talkers, but sincere in what they say, not given too much wine, not greedy for base gain, and, or to be ignoble or dishonest. They must possess the mystic, I always wondered about that, the mystic secrets <laughs> of the faith. The Christian truth is hidden from the ungodly men with clear conscience. And let them also be tried and investigated and proved first. Then, if they run out to be above reproach, they turn out to be above reproach, let them serve. There's a lot there to learn how to serve. Um, there was a, a singer, quite a well-known singer, and uh, to say his first name is Bob, but he, he got born again. And he got born again, and people looked at him, and they saw his fame, right? Because he played, uh, he was well-known, he still is for that matter, but so he got saved, and they put him out there in front of people, shoved him out there, and he played music, he played worship, he led people, and three and a half years later, he says, you know, three and a half years was enough for Jesus, I guess that's enough for me. Went right back into the world. He wasn't tried, he wasn't proven, people looked on the outward man. Look at this star, uh, some of you remember a guy named Mike Warnke. Um, he was a Christian comedian who said he was a, had come out of the Satanist church. 
And the sad thing was, we didn't investigate that. The Satanists did. And they said, hmm, we don't know this guy. Can you tell us where he came out of? But we put him out there. We didn't investigate. We just took him in his word. What he's telling us here, we need to investigate leaders. We need to investigate servers. So getting back to the idea that a good leader must be a good disciple, I was reading this uh, book that Brenna gave me about called Learning at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. And one of the things they said that rabbis thought that study as the highest form of worship. They point out that in prayer we speak to God, but in study God speaks to us. The Talmud, which is the, you have the Torah, which is the five books, first five books of the Bible, and then the Talmud, and then the Psalms, says that a person who studies without reverence is like a man with a treasure chest who owns the inner keys, but not the outer keys. And the rabbis also believe that the mark of an excellent student was the ability to argue well. You know, we don't like to argue. Who in the world wants conflict? My word in the night. But one rabbi actually lamented the death of his stiffest rival because he had no one to spar with, no one who would force him to refine his thinking. You know, we're supposed to study this word and be able to defend it. And if you're going to defend something, you've got to know something about it. So if we go to Proverbs 27, 17... And you're wondering about where does that fit into the scriptures. The King James says, iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The Amplified says, iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend to show rage or worthy purpose. Second Corinthians 6, 1 in the uh, complete Jewish Bible says, as God's fellow workers, we also urge you to not receive his grace and then do, not, do nothing with it. You know, there's a lot of us who have received grace and we talked about this last week about people, or last, yeah, last week about people who have raised their hand to receive Christ and walked out the door and we don't see him again. They receive grace, but what are they doing with it? That's part of discipleship. So Philippians 2, verses 13 through 15, says, For it is not your strength, but it is God who, effective, who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, that is, strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. So do everything without murmuring or questioning, questioning the providence of God, so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless, guileless, innocent, and uncontaminated children of God without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation, among whom you are seen as bright lights, shining beacons in the world of darkness. I'm going to meddle a little bit here, probably for a while. <laughs> But there's some things that I've noticed, and I noticed in, in just where people are in their ages and where they are as they watch other people. So I'm going to pick on the teens a little bit. 
a church we went to in Columbus, and you remember the triplets? When I, when I usher, I don't close my eyes during worship. I don't, because I, my job as an usher is to keep an eye on things, make sure everything's done orderly and right. Well, these three little kids, they're triplet boys, just cute little guys you'd ever want to see. And they would come with their mom to church, and they would sit in the front row. And when worship came, all three of them, and I mean, they were like this, all three of them, praising and worshiping. It was awesome. And then one day, one of them looked back at the teenagers. I never saw those kids raise their hands again. Not once in all the time I was there, I never saw them raise their hands again. People are watching. That scripture I said before about we need to be in this world, a light, a beacon. They're watching us, and our teens are watching us. So in my meddling, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> and there's a word from Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. We'll go through it. I'm not going to read the whole thing right off the bat. But Ephesians 21, 5, 21, it says, being subject. Now, the word subject I didn't, I wasn't sure I liked this idea, but it says liable. Now, li- everybody carries liability insurance on their cars, right? Why do you carry liability insurance? In case you're at fault. That you will owe somebody something for in an accident or something. It also means exposed, open, sensitive, or susceptible. So it says, being subject or exposed, open, sensitive, and susceptible to one another out of reverence. And the reverence is a feeling of awe and respect for Christ. Now, one of the things that we, the world falls into this trap. We've always had this thing about authority and submissions, authority and submission. And they go to this scripture here and they says, wives, be subject. Wives, submit yourselves. You need to understand something. We, as the body of Christ, are also the bride of Christ. We, as men and women in here, must submit to one another, be subject to one another. You know, there's, there's this submission authority thing that, that goes through the, I'm submitted to Pastor Sean and Pastor Mike as the pastor and head pastor of this church. If they ask me to do something, I'll do my best to do it. Now, there's things in this church, like the boiler, they're submitted to me because I know the boiler. Now, that's not real spiritual. <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it does keep the room warm, right? <laughs> so you're welcome. Um, but the thing is, there's, there's positions of authority and submission, and we all fall into these different places of authority and submission. And in authority and submission, isn't that anybody can make you submit, you have to be willing to submit, So I have to be willing to submit to anybody in this place. I submit to somebody over here. (laughs) No, Herb is the head of first impressions, right? So he has the ushers, the greeters, the welcome table. That's his job. When I work as an usher or I work in security, I submit to him. Where do you want me? What do you want me to do? Now, being in that place of submission, he submits to Pastor Sean and Pastor Mike. 
What would you like us to do for the next service? Are we doing things okay? Is there something I need to change? These are things that we do under submission and authority. They work in time, in ebb and flow. We have authority and submission in the sound booth. Now, in the men's group, I submit to Pastor Sean is how we're going to work the men's group. And then we came up with a book, so we're reading the Beta Satan. So after I'm done with this, if you guys or anybody's offended, please see Ron, uh, <laughs> Dale Wronghold. <laughs> he has the office of offense here. <laughs> and if anybody here is, you know, thinks I'm in error, please see Pastor Sean. <laughs> you know, pass the buck up. <laughs> so when we talk about this idea of being submitted one to another out of reverence to Christ. So it says, be subject and sensitive to your own husbands. So we as husbands, so I'm going to go back and forth, be husbands and wives, but as husbands, are we showing submission? Am I showing submission to the Father? Am I, am I showing submission to my husband, Jesus? And if I'm showing submission to my husband, Jesus, does that show my wife how to submit? Not force her to submit, but how to submit. So there's these areas where we talk about submission and authority. Service has submission and authority. We have these places where we act in authority and we act as, as submitted unto the body. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it says, be open, sensitive, susceptible to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Himself being the savior of the body. So what did Christ do? He laid down everything. For us. As husbands, do we lay down everything for our wives? You know, this is, this is kind of a deep thing. I mean, am I willing to lay down everything? Uh, I, uh, John Hagee had a, had a saying one time that says, you don't submit to your wife's lead, you submit to her need. And I kind of went with that for a while, but you know, I came up and I was, well, I have to use my wife. <laughs> She will go, we'll go into a store and she'll see somebody and she'll say, I'm going to buy their groceries. And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're going to what? With my money? <laughs> <laughs> but so at that point, I have a choice. Do I submit to her lead and we bless this person or this family? Or do I submit to my need to be the boss and say, no, we're not spending money on people we don't know. It's not going to happen. What's the matter with you? Because in, in my life, I'm like, I'm taking care of the family. She's like, let's spread the wealth, you know. <laughs> you got to sow seed, right, to get seed back, to get harvest back. So there are times in this submission and authority where we submit one to another. I have to submit to her lead in some of these things because it is not a natural thing for me. And I may talk to her about it afterwards. What were you thinking? <laughs> but in the end, 
I know what she's doing is right. Now, she likes to pray for people. I'm more like, you know, Mike, you want me to pray for you? <laughs> you know, I see you have an injury, so there must be a reason for me to want to pray for you. <laughs> but she sees a person like we stopped. There's a guy at Walmart. And Walmart used to have, you ever notice their vests? I'm digressing a little bit. Do you ever notice their vests? The old vests used to say on the back, you say, how may I help you? The new vests say it took six plastic bottles to make this vest. <laughs> Which one gives you a better message? Yeah. You know, how may I help you, right? So when I worked at the refinery, I saw that one time, and I said, you know, that needs to be my attitude. How may I help you? Well, Luann, she takes it full bore. There's this guy at Walmart. He's a greeter, been there forever, but now he's retired, and he's, he's alone. He's a, he's a widower. And we were talking to him, and he, uh, he says, yeah, well, you know, I got this pain. And I says, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> My wife says, would you like us to pray for you? I'm like, Luann. <laughs> In the middle of Walmart, right here by the subway shop. <laughs> and and at, at, at funny, but it's sad. Why didn't I think of that? You know? My nature isn't to do that. Now, my nature in some things is like I was telling you last week. I've got this this friend that I've known for seven years. I won't name him. His name's Chuck. Uh, <laughs> but love the man. And seven, eight years ago, we started meeting together. And one day, I turned around in the church we were going to at the time, and he just stood out. Don't ask me why. He didn't glow. He didn't, you know. But there was something about him that the Lord said, go talk to him. Didn't know him from Adam. Didn't know his name at the time. So I went back and talked to him. And I had just printed out some scripture that the Lord had spoken to me. And I had a, this little thing. And I went back and I gave it to him. And I says, I don't know why, but I believe the Lord wants you to have this. And we sat down and talked. And he says, well, can we have coffee sometime? Sure. So we exchanged phone numbers. We started having coffee. We started meeting three to four times a week. And it was that, that back to that rabbi-disciple thing at that time. I was teaching him some things he already knew, but he didn't believe. He did not believe the word of faith. He believed because that's the way he'd been taught, that God's going to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it, and you just sit down and take it. And so we began to go over some things and study some things. And I began to tell him, that's not what the word says. This is what the word says. And he'd say something else. That's not what the Word says. This is what the Word says. I, I like to give those in him books out. Because people need to know who they are in Christ. He lost three of them before he read the first one. <laughs> but he started to read it and he started to see who he was in Christ. And it's been a seven or eight year process over the uh, year process where we've had coffee together. We've ministered one to another. We've brought the word to one another. We've gotten to that 2717, Proverbs 2717. We've clashed. But we've clashed over the word. And in that clash, we refined ourselves. We refined our edges. Now, guys know about sharpening, right? What good is a dull knife? Cuts butter and that's about it, right? We want a knife that cuts smooth and clean. There's less work in a sharp knife, right? 
So it goes on and says that the church is to be subject to Christ, so that also should be subject to their husbands, and is liable to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. Now you see where that puts it, responsibility to God. Whose responsibility is that? Mine, as the head of the house. It says, husbands, love your wives and seek the highest good for her and surround her with caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I put a note in here. Divorce lawyers will tell us that the number one reason for divorce in America is money. It's finances. You're spending too much money. You're not spending enough money. You're not investing properly. You're not planning for our future. Why did you buy that? But money, what, is it, what does it say in the scripture what money is? The love of money is? The root of evil, all evil. Money in itself is a tool. But the love of it. So, where, where does that come in? It comes in a lack of communication. It comes in a lack of respect. It comes in a lack of respect and submitting one to another. See, within our church, within our church body, if we're going to submit one to another, we're going to do things right because we're going to want the best for each person. I want the best for you. I want the best for this church to grow. There's going to be some things coming up that we've talked about with first impressions. And we as leaders in this church, the people that come here at 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, you're, you're putting out a little extra, right? Getting up a little earlier, you're coming out here with this. Down the road, we're going to be asking people to fill these rows. We're not going to have a person sitting there and four seats empty and three people there. and You know, we, we can't have that. Why? Because people are coming in and... Uh, you know, as people come in, they're going to need places to sit, right? Well, if I got a seat over here and a seat over there and a couple comes in, I mean, what are we going to do? So in some time here, there's going to be an announcement. People are going to be asked, start filling up. Now, we as leaders, since I brought this up, <laughs> see, see Dale. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> But since I brought this up, we need to start thinking about filling up the rows. We need to start, so these aren't empty seats here, the empty seats are back there. We don't need to be like the Lutheran church I came out of where we fill from the back. <laughs> Not picking on them, but it, just, it was just the truth. I mean, the back rows filled up and nobody wanted to sit up front. I don't mind sitting up front, I sit over there so the pastor can't spit on me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Holy Spit. But, um, you know, part of the anointing that comes on us is because we submit. And that is one of the hardest things for us to do. But submission is what brings the anointing. If I submit unto my pastors properly and submit unto the Lord properly, then goodness comes to me and it comes to the body. I can do what I'm called to do.
So it says that he gave himself up for us. And remember, we're the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. So when, we, when you see these words in here in Ephesians about wives, you can't look over at your wife and go, <clears throat> You have to look at yourself because you're a bride. You are. You're the bride of Christ. It says, so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word of God, so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. <clears throat> but that she should be holy, set apart for God, and blameless. We expect things, right? We expect things of our wives. Our wives expect things of us. What are we expecting? Holy, blameless. Well, are you standing holy and blameless before the Father in your position? You know, I, I wanted to get a um, uh, meme, but I'll probably have it up for next week. It shows the difference between a boss and a leader. So it shows these people pulling on a rope, right? And they're pulling this heavy load. This is our mission. And, and the boss, he's sitting up on top of the mission. And he's saying, go! The leader, he's in the front with his arm on the rope saying, follow. But he's not ahead of them saying, come on. He's got his hands on the rope. Follow. Because if we submit properly, then we put our hands to the rope, right? We put our hands to the mission. We put our hands to the load. We sanctify ourselves by being holy and blameless and working together towards the goal and the mission. Because we, we're supposed to be morally obligated, it says in verse 28, even so husbands should be, should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as a sense of being their own bodies. Huh. You are the body of Christ. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but instead nourishes and protects and cherishes, just as Christ does the church. He nourishes us and he protects us. He loves us unconditionally. Now, how often do we love unconditionally? You know, we like to think we do. But I think oftentimes we put conditions on people that if you act this way, I'll love you better. I'll love you more. I'll be, I'll be kinder. But that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to stand washed in the water of the word. Now, I'm not, I haven't been real good about this. How do I wash my wife in the water of the word? I have to take this and I have to apply this to myself first before I can wash her in it. If I don't wash myself first, it's like taking muddy water and trying to wash something clean. You know, have you ever tried to wash a pig in muddy water? <laughs> They're still dirty, right? But if, and you're just as dirty. <laughs> but if you wash yourself in clean water, in the water of the Word, then when it comes out of your mouth towards your spouse... It comes out clean, and we're washing with the water of the word within ourselves. And then Christ washes us with the water of the word. So 
See, we have to look at ourselves a lot differently anymore. We've taken the scripture so often about this is what a man does and this is what a woman does, and I've, I've, I've fallen into the same trap. I said, you know, it says that a man's supposed to love his wife. I often said a man is supposed to love his wife because he doesn't understand love. And a wife is supposed to respect her husband because she doesn't understand respect. <clears throat> Truly. As a man, we're taught to respect power, strength, money, abilities. We respect those things. Knowledge, wisdom. But what do we love? Women learn to love. They nurture. <laughs> That's in their nature, to nurture, to love, to give that out. But to learn to respect somebody for just who they are and what they do, that takes a different mindset. So if I'm going to love my wife, I have to understand how Christ loves me. If I'm his bride, if I'm his body, he wants to take care of me, he wants to wash me in the water of the word, then what, what does that tell me to do as a husband with my wife? I'm to wash her with the water of the word. In my prayer, in my holding, in my loving, and even in Bible study. I don't do that real well. She's given me that look. <laughs> I have my time, and that's and it's good because men have to have their time, just you know, like gals have to have their time. But I have not taken that time, as I should, to take all these notes that God has given me over the years that I've put in here and really express them to my wife. There's a lot in here that God's given me that I've written, little notes on the sides and whatnot. We as men too often have this thing about, it's all mine. I got this revelation. Well, what was it? It's mine. <laughs> all mine. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> you, ever, you ever see that searching for Nemo? And the seagulls are in there. Mine, mine, mine. Why is it just mine? Why isn't it ours? <laughs> so we are morally, see, Jesus is morally obligated. He, he made a vow. He vowed to us. And we're supposed to hold our vows same as he held his. It says here that he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members, parts of his body. Now, a lot of people try to understand what the part of their body is, of his body they are. And the thing is, we don't have to be too concerned. You know, remember what I said last week, don't want to be a teacher because a teacher is held more accountable for what is said up here. But you know, every body needs a big toe. There you go. <laughs> I wasn't making fun. See, <laughs> <C> Dale. <laughs> um, but I mean, everybody needs a big toe. It needs a little toe, if enough for nothing else than to find the furniture in the room. <laughs> but, 
But I mean, honestly, some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are mouths, some of us are ears. You know, people that have compassion have hearing ears that I can hear somebody's pain and I can listen and I can take it and yet I can turn around and offer solace. I can offer comfort. So we need people in all these different positions. We all have to be in these positions. You, can, you may not ever be in the pulpit, but you know if you're teaching those kids downstairs, what greater, what greater work? You know, if you're up here worship, that's awesome. If you're down here worship, you know, it's back to the raising of hands. You know, I, I don't want to pick anybody for not raising hands, but I mean, the scripture tells you to raise holy hands. There's a reason for that. I surrender. I surrender, Father. I surrender to you. I worship you because you are worthy. Not because of anything else, but you are worthy. You are whole and complete and mighty. And you love us. And you first loved us and you sent us your son. You gave us your son. You gave us our husband. So it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. <clears throat> now, Jesus left his father and came to us. And he returned to his father, and he says, that's my bride. Now, if you remember the old Jewish customs, what happened? So if we go back to the Jewish custom, when Luann and I got married, it would have been we were betrothed. I would go home to my father and I would build a place for her. And remember how the scripture says, Jesus says, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. So I would go and I would prepare a place for her. I would build a house. It might be right next to my parents' house. It might be somewhere in our family because she was leaving her father and mother. I was separating from my father and mother. But I had to prepare this place. I had to submit to my father as to whether the place was good enough for her before I could go get her. And she never knew when I was coming. Imagine that today. I mean, I said last week about how my mother-in-law's mother came over from Europe and she never saw her again. Sent her away. She's gone. But... So she's not, but she doesn't know when I'm coming. Then we remember we talked about the five virgins with oil and the five that don't. Being prepared for the wedding supper of the Lamb because nobody knows. We're always being prepared. As disciples, we need to be being, not having been, but being prepared for his coming because we don't know when it is. And it talked about how those Um, bridesmaids were outside and they heard the sound of the bridegroom coming. That's when she would have known I was coming. There would have been, we used to call them shiveries or different things like that, but there would be music, there would be rejoicing, there would be happiness and there would be noise. He's coming, he's coming, prepare for the bridegroom is coming coming. Are we preparing ourselves and our families for the coming of the bridegroom? We need to be prepared. We need to be preparing. You know, it says that those five 
they all, all 10 of them fell asleep. But five of them woke up and they could trim their wicks, add oil to their lamp and go. The other five fell asleep and they woke up and they're like, uh-oh. Prepared. Because he is coming and he's coming with a noise and a noise of rejoicing. We need to be ready. As husbands, we need to make sure our wives are ready. So it says, this is a great mystery of two becoming one. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church. Are we one with Christ? What does the word Christian mean? It means one in Christ. I'm I'm taking on my husband's identity. I am a Christian. So when I come into this church or I walk into the street or I go into the store, do I go in as a Christian? Is his identity in me and in my wife and in my kids? Or did I walk out there and they couldn't tell me from the world? Did I walk by that guy that Luann wanted to pray for? That was I that person that says, go and be warm. You know, I mean, that was me. Go and be warm. This is not a good place to be. Here's my coat. Here's, if nothing else, here's my word of prayer and encouragement for you. Can I lay hands on you? I mean, I, I'm amazed by Johnny. I really am. He has grabbed hold of that thing. He is totally unafraid to pray for anybody. I'm not afraid to pray for somebody. I just don't think of it. And I'm sorry. I have to apologize to the Father. I do not think of it. It's more like uh, if I see something or somebody says, would you pray with me? Oh, I'll jump right in there. Altar care, you come up here. I know you're coming up for a reason. And my faith is ready to join with yours. But to go out there in the crowd and say, oh, hey, I want to pray for you. You know, I really, for me, unless the Lord just says, go you know, go pray for Herb, go pray for somebody. I, uh, it probably isn't going to happen. You know, I'm just, I, you know, I'm just being honest. I need to develop within me a sensitivity. What is part of that sensitivity? Submission unto the Father and the Spirit within me that leads me and guides me into the paths of truth to meet the needs of his people. Now, what do cells do in a body? They work together. Synergistic. Everything's working together. Insulin pulls sugar into the cell so the cells can use it. We breathe out carbon dioxide. We give off waste. We take in oxygen. Our cells take that oxygen. We're supposed to feed one another just like that. We're supposed to be like the lungs and the heart and the liver. All those organs in here that nobody likes to look at. But God talked about the bowels. The depth of the bowels that I love you so much that it hurts in here if you are hurting. That in here I can sense that this part of the body needs a hand laid on, a hug, a touch, a word. 
We need to be that place in the body where that, when the spirit who is actually the brain of our body here on earth, the Holy Spirit who gives from the head to us and says, you need to go take care of that. That we move to take care of that rapidly. That's one flesh. It says, however, each man among you love his wife as the very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem. Is our behavior worthy of respect and esteem? We as Christians, when we looked at Christ, did we look at him with respect and esteem? Why? Because of who he was. He was honorable. He was true. He was strong. All those things were supposed to be to our wives. It's seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband. This was an interesting thing, I thought. In the Amplified, it says that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, holding him dear as a service to the Lord. So do we, in the body of Christ, do we prefer Christ? Do we honor him? Do we love him? I ask these questions because sometimes we get, and I I have to look at myself, I ask these questions of myself. Am I doing what is right? Am I ministering openly? Am I loving unconditionally? Am I, are these things, do I honor Christ in my walk? So it says, it says, for husband is the head of of the body, of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. So if I, res- if I respect the head of my body, the Lord Jesus Christ, then I give my wife something to respect. Because I have to subject myself to him. I'm liable. I'm liable to him. I am exposed to him. It says, but as the church, <clears throat> excuse me, is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands and everything, respecting both their position as protector and the responsibility to God as head of the house. It says, husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with caring and unselfish love. Is that Christ? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do we give ourselves up? I, I struggle with this of giving myself up because to give myself up, I have to die to those things in me for her good. Christ died to those things in him for our good. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word of God so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, set apart for God, and blameless. 
So even husbands should have, should, and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being in a sense their own bodies. We're the body of Christ. He loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us without measure. He died. For the joy that was set before him, he endured death, even the death of the cross. It says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body, but instead nourishes and protects and cherishes it, just as Christ did the church. Because we are members of his body, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined, faithfully devoted to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of the two becoming one is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. However, each man among you, without exception, this is our Father, this is our Savior, Jesus, loves us, is to love his wife as his own self, with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. And the wife, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, must see to it that she respects with reverence, a feeling of awe and respect, and we delight in him. Delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. That's our charge, to love Christ. Holding him dear and honoring him. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just give you praise this evening. I thank you for the blessing of this opportunity. And I thank you for everybody that's here. And I thank you, Father God, that you first loved us. You sent your son, our husband. And we worship and honor him as his bride and as his body. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.